Hello, Elaine here. Just wanted to warn you that this episode is a bit different from everything else that we've done. Because of some scheduling issues, we were going to skip this week. But instead, we just decided to talk about a couple of movies that we tangentially mentioned in previous episodes. This is not a structured episode. There is not anything that's edited with the same level of care that I edit the regular episode. This is just a bit of fun. If you are mostly interested in pop punk, feel free to skip this. We will be back next week with the Mighty Mighty Boss Bones for our regular schedule, which we'll reprise as normal. But if you want to hear me and Fletch just joke around about a couple of fairly mediocre movies, this is an hour of fun. Hopefully there are some couple of entertaining jokes that can keep your attention. Have fun. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Gargaroth of this Town, a 2000 pop-punk and emo-pop retrospective. We are not talking about music today. We are not talking about anything that's actually relevant to pop-punk. We're having like a... We, we, we had to record two episodes this week because of time warp shenanigans. Um... Which means we decided to take it easy. Originally, this was going to be a Tony Hawk 1 plus 2 remastered, super special, elite, whatever edition episode, because that's very much related to what this podcast is about. Uh, but that didn't happen because I'm poor and couldn't buy it. We decided to do another thing, which is to talk about, to watch, to talk about two movies that were mentioned in previous episodes. That's right. The bonus file is real and our friend, and we're bringing him here to your birthday party. Today, we are talking about two films that we mentioned. The first one is the move, the film that saved the career of Jimmy Edward, I guess. The, fil- the reason why Clarity is a record available to listen to us, and not just something in a recording studio basement, which has never been kissed, which is a 1999 romantic comedy featuring a bunch of famous actors before they were famous, and Drew Barrymore, who I don't think is relevant anymore in 2020. But what are you going to do? You know, I'm actually curious. I'm going to see what the last thing she's done is, because you're making me think. I can't remember. I remember her being in a Adam Sandler movie like 10 years ago or something, and can't remember much else she's been in recently. Uh, apparently one week from now, she's going to have a daytime talk show debut on CBS. That's not a joke. (laughs) I don't know if that's a step forward or backwards for the career. Also, we're both going to have to eat crow because after that Adam Sandler disaster, she was a regular on the series Santa Clarita Diet, which is supposed to be a very good black comedy. Huh. Okay. It's Drew Barrymore, Timothy Oliphant, Joel McHale, and a few others in a very good dark series about the things you do to stay fit and ahead of the pack in a Hollywood-type city. Huh, that sounds very interesting. Yeah, uh, she starts becoming a zombie and craving human flesh, but, like, it makes her look very vibrant if she gets it. Uh, The second thing that we watched today, and I very much regret choosing this, is a movie where Lit has a cameo, and that's the only reason why we watched this movie. It's uh, Repley, Kate. By National Lampoon, from their very, very bad direct-to-video era. Yep. 2002. For what it's worth, I was aware of Replicate via, when we looked it up, I had apparently seen this at Blockbuster Video many times for rental and never chosen it. I did realize I had never seen Never Been Kissed, and I was actually thinking of Can't Hardly Wait which was a much better movie. Huh. Okay. I, I know neither of those movies. Also, I realized we didn't say our name. Hello, I'm Elaine. You know me, probably, if you're listening to this episode. God forbid this is the first episode someone listens from this podcast. They would be very confused. You know, I think it would be an interesting introduction. Hello there, I'm Fletcher. And over here, off doing my own thing, I'm Adam. Yeah, no, Adam, uh, we, we didn't... We didn't 
We didn't subject Adam to the suffering uh, this week because... Adam is not allowed to watch movies that are older than he is. <laughs> None of these are actually older than he is, fun, fun, funnily enough. But <laughs> Barely. 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 <laughs> they could have been playing together at daycare. That's all I'm saying. Also, please do not replicate play with your children at daycare. Replicate will teach them extremely um, old-fashioned gender rules if you let them play with your children. Which is a worse babysitter for your child, Replicate or the band Lit? <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna go with Replicate. <laughs> the band Lit killed the person. The only reason you're saying Replicate is because Eugene Levy made you sad in the movie. I think he's a very funny man. He's debuted on SCTV and has long been a Canadian comedy icon. He still works to this day. I am not particularly aware of his um, oeuvre. Mm. Uh, I, I, do, I do know, like, the, the two actors that I know from Replicate were, um, were the two people who were in Psych, because I like the series. It's the protagonist and whoever plays the big chief the, the bold guy. I take it James Roday and Desmond Askew are the ones who are in Psych? Yeah. Yeah, okay. they, they're, they're, they're good in Psych. I think James Roday, despite the 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 awful garbage that is his movie, still has like a fair amount of charisma that shines through his movie. That's good. That's well. Psych, Psych is a really fun, funny series. I, I was about to ask, do you think it's worth giving a shot for the first time in 2020? I still hear it talked up, but... Not as much since it went off the air. Do you like procedurals? I can be talked into that. I'm not against them inherently. It's, it starts very procedural-like with fairly funny quips mm -hmm. and eventually sort of sheds that and becomes more of a just-like straight-up comedy. I think the first seasons are a, couple, are a bit rough. There is a particular, like, very transphobic episode. But it's funny. Like, if you, it's a really good series to watch where you're doing other things. I'm going to say that. That, that is sort of the procedural style. All right. Yeah. And also, I wish I could say that it has a transphobic episode in the first season is a disqualifying statement, but so many very good comedies do step on that bear trap. Yeah. Yeah. Like, offhand, I can think of three. In the only way that I can defend it is just, like, I've seen worse. I've seen episodes that are more overtly transphobic. The, this one is, like, icky, but it's whatever. And the series doesn't, you know, doesn't go there at any, or, or at any other point, and it's generally, like, fairly well-natured and funny. All right, I'll give that a shot, because, frankly, what else do you do when you start running out of other shows and uh, it's available? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I think it's on Peacock. What is Peacock? Oh, NBC is trying to do its own streaming platform. Well, isn't everyone this day? Should we? Pretty much. Should we create our own streaming platform? Hmm, but what kind of license? You know what? I'm. G let's get the dregs of everything. Let's get every also-ran license. Let's get all the direct-to-video National Lampoon stuff. Let's get the Buck <laughs> Rogers reboots. Let's get... I can think of more failures. Give me a second. Um, Quibi. We can just absorb Quibi. <laughs> that would be an amazing business venture. Just acquire everything that fails and get it available for cheap. I'm hoping we can pull a producer-style accidental victory out of this. Anyhow, as you may imagine, this is like a sort of like a bonus fun episode, so it would be way more rambly than our usual so we will be back next week with yeah uh, what what's next week next week is the bostones i right, forget the, mighty, mighty the specific album let me pull it up uh pay attention by the mighty mighty bostones yeah next 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 week we will have a regular episode right now let's go into rambling about never been kissed Semester in high school. Josie Geller, you enroll Friday. You are looking at the newest undercover reporter for the Chicago Sun Times. 
You're kidding, right? Josie, do you remember high school? Josie, 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 Josie! So, you were a geek. Big deal. You get to be 17 again. <gasps> okay, feeling good. Welcome to Shakespeare's As You Like It. Are you sure you're 17? I'm 17. <laughs> of course. She's never been hip. This is where the stories are. She's never been cool. You'll become friends with these people. Houston, Kristen, Gibby. What's up, girlfriends? Are you in special ed? And she's never been sexy. You will party with them. Ugh. You'll rave with them. You're going to get jiggy with them. Until now. All you need is one person to think you're cool and you're in. Yeah! 20th Century Fox presents... Guy is totally crunching on you. Drew Barrymore. Do I want to be crunched? Oh, yeah. yeah. Never been kissed. I think I'm totally in. I was so cool. Which, not as good as Can't Hardly Wait. What is Can't Hardly Wait? You mentioned it like four times and I never watched it. And It's the it film is. that I confused this with. Can't Hardly Wait, in short, takes place at a graduation party at a high school. And it's one of those big parties that rarely exists in real life where it's like somebody's mom is out of town and they have a big house. And over the course of the night, you have some people who graduated the year earlier coming back from college and like the football star being convinced that, yeah, he's going to he's going to go far. So he's going to leave his girlfriend in high school so he can be free and ready for college and the nerd trying to figure out what to do. And like, it's a bunch of different stories throughout this party that all weave together. And it's a pretty self-aware look at how high school is not the end of your life. And in fact, uh, there is a very dark comeuppance for the football star as like a guy who was him a year earlier. Like the former star quarterback is like, no, dude, we're a dime a dozen. We're, we're so fucked. And he's already broken up with his girl. And like the the film is the cruelest to him because it does stingers at the end. That's like, where are they now? And it straight up says he washes out of his scholarship, ends up an alcoholic who is running a car wash and has to give that up when compromising Polaroids show up of him. Oh, God. Okay. It's like, wow, you somebody hated a guy who beat them up in high school. <laughs> but everyone else, it's like, yeah, you know, the, the smart guy who's dedicated to, doesn't get laid immediately, but he goes on to a relatively successful career. The guy who's well adjusted does keep in touch with uh, the girl he ends up with and they go to school across the country, but they're still together. It's it's a very uplifting sort of thing that's not that disgusting okay what we watched what we watched instead it's never been kissed yeah <laughs> i don't think this is as good although it has an impressive cast including wcw all-star david arquette yes one time wcw champion david arquette is in this and almost fucks minor a lot of people almost fuck a minor in this movie. It's really weird that way. It, it is something you have to deal with when your plot includes adults going back to high school. Multiple. That's the crazy part. Multiple. Yeah, okay, so, so the story... Okay, so nominally the story is Drew Barrymore is a reporter... And in in the first, like, five minutes of the movie, the boss of Drew Barrymore is like, I've decided what our new, next new story would be. High school. Go and be be high school student. They but don't... Even, even funnier, she's not a reporter. She's an editor. And the boss goes, you need to become an undercover reporter at a high school, which has a lot of problems. <laughs> no one questions it. No one, like, argues the reality of this. It's established in, like, in the first five minutes, literally. And from there on, the film is Drew Barrymore in high school. It's yeah. 
sort of amazing. Like, it feels like a Sam and Max gag or something. Where yeah. it's just like, reality is completely thrown out the window and it's just like, this happens, accept it. Yeah, if this started with a phone call, it could be an episode of, or an adaptation of Sam and Max. Because it's just, here's your premise, go. We will never question it. An episode is fine. Sam and Max had a cartoon. It was really good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the cartoon was good. I was thinking it could be an episode. They had the episodic games. There were the yeah. comics. Yeah. Sam and Max are great. Uh, yeah, why? Is there any Sam and Max in the 2000s? Can we can we find a way to work that into this? Did Sam and Max ever do a Ska album? <laughs> they didn't. The, the, the soundtrack for the games is really good, but I think that's a right. bit later. Yeah, they were sort of folk rocky. Surf rock. Yeah, but they also had, like, a um, musical song. Like, there's literally a song sung in the Oval Office about how war makes the economy go round. God, those were so good. Remember when Telltale was okay once? Yeah. They have an upcoming game. It's a VR thing. Huh, interesting. Yeah, it was announced a couple weeks ago. I, I guess Steve Fussell isn't involved in this one? Because he was involved pretty much in everything Sam and Max. No, I think he is. He owns the rights. Okay, that's really cool. Yeah, this has nothing to do with Telltale's corpse, so... Oh, that's really interesting. Entirely new company, so I think Purcell is involved. Cool, okay. Yeah, let's, let, let, let's become a Sam and Max retrospective podcast. Yeah, that's far from the worst year of our lives. <laughs> In the worst year of our lives. God. Uh, but yeah, so this is the premise. Drew Barrymore goes to high school and hijinks ensue. Um, her acting is weird. Like, she, even regardless of the high school, like, she, her character is sort of like dorky nerd who doesn't know how to, like, be a normal human being. Not in a... Not in a way that suggests anything real, but more in a way that this is something making fun of... I, I don't know. It, it's it's very cartoonish. It's very, like, the, the nerd person from, like, a Saturday morning cartoon. Like, she talks with a weird voice... It's a really weird choice of performance there. I feel like Mean Girls looked at this performance and went, what if we did that again, but gave an excuse for why it's so weird? And that's how you got, ah, yes, I came from Africa, where I was with my anthropologist parents and have never been in a high school. Because that's the only thing that explains this performance. <laughs> It's, yeah. it's very weird because for someone who has already gone through high school and graduated and become an adult and has been for somewhere between five to seven years, depending on when she graduated, if you told me she took a fifth year, I'd believe it. You, you start to get, they claim she was just a nerd in high school, but she seems like she might have gone to high school in a basement. Yeah, I mean it's weird because like one of the one of the big lessons of the film that's a big speech of the end and she goes high school doesn't define who you are in the future except it did for her like the person she was in high school in the flashback is literally the the same like caricature she is in the present day so it's so weird and it's even stranger when you think about all the decisions she makes trying to pretend to be a high school student, like I should try and get it on with a teacher because I'm into him, or I should try and become the part of the prom that no one can forget, or, you know, underage drinking is great, and I can underage drink legally now. The the extremely weird thing to me is that the the film is like very very vaguely mean to her character in that like she's very much portrayed as like a joke basically right yeah there's like the scene at the beginning where she's like you know she's like embroidering some like pillows 
and then you cut to her putting it like in a room full of embroidered pillows and that would be like oh she's like a luther who embroiders a lot of pillows from for like a hobby which by the way that's fucking impressive uh i'm just like i know it's treated as a joke but in the in the context of reality like someone who embroidered that much pillows that's like a skill that's an etsy store in our modern day, that could be a career, that sort of dedication. But aside from that, and it's weird, because this is like a romantic comedy, the main plot is that she eventually, like, she meets this, like, uh, t- English teacher who's, like, extremely attractive and, like, smart, who talks about Shakespeare or whatever, and, like, the main plot line is that this teacher is into her, but thinks she's a high school student, but then, you know, turns out she isn't, and they can... Be together and be happy. So this is like classic romantic comedy plot. Technically. This is a weird film, but the framework is classic romantic comedy plot. Now, in this type of film, usually like write them in the way that, you know, you write them for a female audience, or you write them with the idea, oh, they will identify themselves with this character. This film doesn't write it that way. Like, the main character is a joke. The main character is meant to be laughed at. But then you're also supposed to be like really immersed and enjoy like when she ends up together with like the the hot dude at the end and i'm really confused who this movie is for also there's a weird subplot that comes in halfway where because this story is endangered by a rival paper somehow again the story is we sent an adult to a high school I don't know how that's a thing that someone can scoop or that can be disrupted. It's just a, it's basically a weird opinion piece given flesh. Yeah. But they decide, well, at this point, we got to keep a closer eye on you. You're a loose cannon, Josie. So they start putting a hidden camera on her and then all of her coworkers start watching her like a reality show. I love those bits. Like, I love the cutaway to the workers just engrossed in the, in the film. It's, it's extremely surreal. It's almost fourth wall breaking. Like, the co-workers are watching the film with you and commenting on it. That second half is better because it gets so meta. I'm not even gonna lie. Yeah. <laughs> it's... Uh... Then we have what's totally supposed to be a Carrie-style prom scene that just turns into, but what if you could hurt people with words instead of psychokinetic violence? I I talk about, I say that technically this has the classic, classic romantic comedy plot, because this really doesn't on an effective level. So this movie has about 10 subplots. None of them are resolved. And... This leaves the movie with zero time to spend uh, establishing the main relationship of the movie. Like, you, th- the main relationship of the movie should be, like, her and the teacher, but they have, like, three scenes together in the whole movie. Yeah, she just falls for this guy, and, again, when you think about the actual implications of what happens here, there's a lot of weird layers because the climax is she becomes prom queen and dumps on the mean girls because they try to again they straight up do the carry thing or attempt to not to her to her like nerd friend well that's that's what sets the whole thing off yeah and this upsets the teacher who should be realizing wait I've been lied to, but also this means that I can act on the feelings I'm having. And also, there's another fake student? Or sort of? Well, her her brother, like, apparently people can just show up in the school. Yeah. Her brother just decides to, I'm gonna go to school too now. I forgot he was her brother because that only comes up once. Yep. He's just a guy who's there suddenly. <laughs> and again, wasn't he the older brother? Yeah. So she's 25. He's older. They both just arrive and start running around. <laughs> what is wrong? 
There is a really good joke about that though when they like are uh, saying the name of the all of the whatever the people nominated for King of Brom or whatever the thing, but they go Mr. So and so, Mr. Name Surname, Mr. Name Surname, and Mr. Rob. And no surname because he just showed up at high school. That uh, that that is a good joke because yeah. That is uh that 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 is neat, but yeah, it's weird. <laughs> but yeah, Rob who again is over is his mid to late twenties was suddenly becoming a baseball star because he's a grown ass man playing against children. <laughs> However, okay, more layers to reality. The first joke in the um, in the film it's literally about how harsh high school security is. Which boy, th- this is once again a thing that does not hold up in the light of 2020 compared to we thought security was bad then. Yeah, but also like it's very interesting because everyone after that starts showing up in the high school, like the Drew Barrymore adult best friend just show up and passes herself for a teacher at some point. Yeah. And that's got never referenced again. Happens like it's one scene. This film like screams of rewrites. I would love to see the original script of this movie. This movie has so many conflicting things going for it that like screams of something that has been rewritten four times and it was rewritten during the shooting and this mess came out. It's not awful. Like I think there are like some solid jokes. I think it's not terrible, but it's weird. Like for the genre and like the genre, this is a genre that tends to be very, very square, like very systematic. Like most, you can predict most uh, romantic comedies from the rewrite. You can watch them and pretty much know what's happening. Doesn't make them bad because, you know, plays on things that are inherently like satisfying, but they have a structure. They have a thing, a formula that they follow. This technically follows the formula, but it really doesn't. Like the big moment where they like, you know, they, you know, the the guy discovers that the girl has lied to him and, like, they they split for a while. Happens five minutes before the end and it's resolved three minutes before the end. It's just like, boom, the, at the end, shoved at the end. It's weird. We should also probably talk about how the title comes from the fact that she is a 25-year-old who has never been kissed and does eventually get kissed at the end of the film by this, the story has run. This whole thing has become a weird sensation in their town. And then she has her first kiss with this teacher who falls in love with her. And they start dating at the end on a football field. No, wait, baseball field in front of every, like a whole crowd is watching. Yes, to get him back, she writes this article about her being in high school. And it doesn't... It doesn't say anything that... So, the the teacher is upset because she lied to him, right? It's Reasonable. She wanted to... Yeah, that's fair. And then she writes this article. This is like the last five minutes of the movie, by the way. So, the, the, it comes out that she was a journalist all along, and she wasn't a high school student. The, the, she, the teacher gets upset, they separate, then she writes this article. And this article doesn't doesn't say anything particularly, like, there isn't a reason, there isn't, like, a gimmick to how, the, why the teacher would come back to her. It's just like, I, I, I like this guy, come kiss me at the baseball stadium, and she he goes and kisses her at the baseball stadium. So... Thinking on the plot of this, I am very amused as I realize what was the benefit to her newspaper? Presumably she was getting paid the entire time this was happening. She's a copy editor, so she's probably not actually copy editing the newspaper while this whole thing is happening. You can't use her as an undercover reporter because she's now become probably the most famous person in this town because of this whole thing. What was the end? 
in terms of money sunk into this story, this is not going to be put up for the Pulitzer. I don't know if this will be anything other than maybe a weird story someone talks about on the morning news or a Zoo Crew radio show. What was the gain to all of this? What did the paper get out of this? One mediocre article. I would also mention that they invested in a spy van for this article. Yes! <laughs> well, they might have had that. That might have been something they had in actual journalism or investigatory equipment. Maybe. Since you were talking about the whole thing where this seems like it was rewritten, uh, curiously enough, the whole reason we watched this film, Jimmy Eat World's Lucky Denver Mint and sort of pushing their career, doesn't actually feature in the film. Neither of us had a DVD copy of this, so we couldn't check deleted scenes, but I highly suspect there's a party scene or something that that was playing in which was just removed. Yeah, it's really odd. There is another Jimmy Network song, it's 17, from their second record, which plays at the beginning of the film, while she's getting prepared to go to, to the high school. But I think that's the only track on the soundtrack that's not in the film. I haven't checked. Uh, I know that, it, as I mentioned to you affair, it's in the credits. I checked that. I watched the film two times, and it's definitely not in the film. Um... Lucky down I was expecting it to play over the credits or something by the end, and I was very, like, weirded out when it didn't. Yeah, it's... it's a little weird. Also, Wikipedia has a convenient list of how many songs are in the film, many of which are not on the soundtrack. Okay. That's weird. That's a mystery. Yeah. Weirdly enough, like... So, Lucky Denver Mint doesn't really fit with the t with the tone of the film. Like, Lucky Denver Mint is a really, like, sad and, like, melancholic song. Most of the film is, like, slapstick silly. It's not... There are, like, two emotional scenes in the movie, and they're at the end. Yeah, and it's... They do it's a very light-hearted comedy, except when it thinks it can punch above its weight emotionally. Yeah. Here's a funny bit that is more related to our show, just while I'm looking up these song notes here. Uh, American ska band spring Jack USA submitted a song named Josie for the film soundtrack. The band had previously released a single titled Jolene, which was about their tour band, but when given the opportunity, they simply replaced the name Jolene with Josie to make it relevant to the character in the film. It was later rejected. Oh god, that's amazing. <laughs> that it. is excellent. <laughs> And now we have transitional music. <laughs> oh, God. There's a great scene where... Um, the Oh, by the way, the journalism chief of the, the department where she works at or whatever is John C. Riley, which is great. Love him. His funny and has charisma. And there's like this real... The, because the film almost tried to set up... Uh, Drew Barrymore, best friend, and John C. Riley as a couple, except that doesn't happen in the film. They have, like, one scene where it's just like, oh, this is, that's the plot where the two best friends bone, that it's in ever romantic comedy ever, and then it doesn't happen. But, like, this amazing scene where they have this extremely cliche dialogue that I live for, where it's like the, um, the female friend is like, oh, have you ever loved, and the other guy is like, and John C. Riley is like, love, I don't understand. Newspapers, I do understand. And he's just like, oh, sweet cheese. That is one of my favorite characters in any sort of media, is just a weird, hard-nosed editor-in-chief who only has a love for the paper. <laughs> yeah. 
That's great. And that's probably why J.K. Simmons is one of the best parts of those Spider-Man films is just because he's in an entirely different movie and he never flinches when it calls him on it. Most of what I remember about those Spider-Man films is just random J.K. Simmons one-liners. Like, yeah, I like Three, which everyone hates. I think Three is a really funny movie. And that's actually, like, I think most people miss that 3 is actually trying to be funny. Like, it's not, like, you know, Sam Raimi is not dumb. Oh, yeah. It's, 3 is three is great. The scenes that people meme on yeah. are comedy scenes. They are shot and written to be really funny because those films are very silly. The problem is more that too much is going on between the comedy. The, the three villains is kind of what makes it such a pain. Yeah, no, I, I don't think it's a great film. I think it's probably the minor of the three, but I think it's still good. Like, I'll still watch it. And, you know, it's fun. Uh, although my favorite part of all of those movies is just like um, Willem Dafoe. Yes. The first one. Nobody chose scenery like Willem Dafoe in that first film. The whole scene where he talks to the mirror is just like, oh... Love and this. when we discover that talking to the mirror is a genetic condition in that family. <laughs> <sighs> there is a drug scene in Never Been Kissed. She eats um, weed brownie and... Yes. Goes ham. Yeah, remember when... Marijuana was still the devil's lettuce and not just so incredibly common in a lot of parts of uh, culture that you could have scenes like this still. It's kind of funny. Yeah, she literally takes the weed brownie from people with a Jamaican accent. For what it's worth, I know I've mentioned this as being an incredibly good comedy repeatedly on this show. Eurotrip has a great uh, parody of this sort of thing where they're in Amsterdam as they're crossing across the continent, and they decide, well, yeah, we're we're going to obviously try edibles. And it just turns out they're in a bakery, and they think they're high, and they just get thrown out because they're acting like two stuttering dipshits giggling in a corner. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> they just That's had normal brownies, and we're like, yeah, yeah, we're so high right now. And then everyone <laughs> can't stand them. <laughs> Uh, that's, a, that's a decent joke. That's a decent joke. Yeah. Um, James Franco and Jessica Alba are in this movie before they were famous. Yeah. A lot of impressive cast. You mentioned a few people who would go on to be in Psych. We've got Molly Shannon is kicking around here. Uh, just about to leave SNL and become sort of a free player. Uh, John C. Riley before he really got his comedy push that he's sort of running on now. Uh, Gary Marshall's in it, uh, R.I.P., but, you know, he's a solid bit of gravitas to a movie that doesn't deserve it. Octavia Spencer. I'm sure there's someone else who I just don't know. Every one of these gets about four lines, and then the movie jumps to the next weird bit with Drew Barrymore. This movie is like, despite all of this cast, the like... Drew Barrymore is probably like in 90% of the shot of the movie. It's just her doing silly things with that weird voice. So the the sort of pitch of this being a movie of weird Drew Barrymore skits is probably the best transition we're going to get into our second film, unless you have more to say. Oh, no. Just to close this one, I I think it's it. Like, go watch it. I will not recommend to go watch the other film that we're watching, but this is like 1 hour and 40. It's weird as fuck for being like a formulaic romantic comedy. So go watch it and send us mail. This episode would be perfect to answer to mail from listeners if we had any. Insert meme. <laughs>
Let's talk about National Lampoon and Replicate. I don't know anything about National Lampoon, so give me an introduction to this thing, because this is a name that I hear thrown around a lot, like I know that like Animal House was a National Lampoon movie or something, but I, I don't know the what it actually is. So here's a very brief setup, because there's a, actually an incredibly doc, uh, an incredibly excellent documentary. This is National Lampoon Incorporated, which formed in the 2000s to just start slapping the name on things. And this is where you started getting things like National Lampoon's Van Wilder, which was probably the single best comedy this crew put out. And that says a lot. But they became a direct-to-video house that only did sex comedies and scatological humor and very cheap films that were basically just skits in a row up to and including... What was the name of that one? There's one that was just straight up skits. But yeah, uh, here, I'll just start reading things from going down. You know, we start with National Lampoon's Animal House. Vacation series was National Lampoon. Loaded Weapon, a parody of Lethal Weapon, was happening. Uh, Van Wilder was one of the final things they did, and apparently Replicate was before they became National Lampoon Incorporated, so I stand corrected. Then we start getting into the, it's just a name to slap on things. National Lampoon's Gold Diggers. National Lampoon presents Dorm Days. National Lampoon's Barely Legal. Cattle Call. Pucked. Stoned Age. Robodoc. Those titles make me feel extremely uncomfortable. I'm not even reading off all the worst. I'm reading off the ones that sound more interesting. Oh, here's one that almost ties into our stuff. Electric Apricot Quest for Festeroo is a mockumentary by Primus lead man Les Claypool. What? Okay. That happened. Yeah. Uh, Transylvania. And yeah, this, it gets very bad. And eventually the final thing they put out was a documentary, which is very good on the original National Lampoon that was worth a shit, Drunk Stoned Brilliant Dead. Okay. Look that up. Just look that up instead of anything else we've just mentioned. Yeah. Animal House. I remember Animal House being okay. Although that might not hold up. It doesn't. Okay, cool. I'll say it as someone who watched it recently. Cool. There's... If you're going to go back in National Lampoon's history, just stick to the vacation films. We didn't stick to the vacation films. We watched Replicate from 2002. (sighs) Yeah. This one we can go over pretty quickly because it's a very shallow film. Yep. This is multiplicity if it was hornier. I don't know what multiplicity is. Multiplicity was a film starring Michael Keaton in the mid-90s, and he is a construction worker who is trying to run a business, fix up his house, spend time with his family, and a mad scientist offers him the ultimate deal. Well, we could just make another one of you, and then you could split your workload two ways, and you can you can relax a little. And the whole thing turns into farce because eventually the clone makes a clone of themselves, who makes a clone of themselves. And so there are four different Keatons running around, with each copy being more degraded than the others. Although, this gets a little weird because one of them is a giant running gay joke. So, yeah. And the whole thing is him trying to keep them all hidden from everyone else. So he's having them interact with his family and his job, but he's also making sure that they hide, so they're all in the unfinished part of his garage that's just been converted into an apartment. It's... it's okay. It's not amazing. It's probably the worst... What is the name of that director? Because I'm gonna kick... Harold Ramis. 
yeah, it's a it's the most unloved Harold Ramis movie. It's it's one of the weaker ones, but there's still some good jokes in it. It sounds more interesting than this thing that we watched at least. Yeah, this is that film if it was written by the fourth Keaton clone who was just portrayed to be slow. This is a brain-damaged multiplicity with horned up. So the, the story here is that um, Max, played by James Rohde of Sex Fame, uh, is a scientist. It's like a... Not, it's not like the head scientist of the lab. It's sort of like a grad student that invented cloning, but his, like, his professor, like this boss, doesn't want to give him credit for cloning. He wants to take... Eugene Levy is the boss, Dr. Yeah. Jonas. Eugene Levy wants to take all of the credit for cloning himself. Uh, James Rohde wants a girlfriend or doesn't, depending on the scene that we're watching. It flip-flops a lot. Um, but tries to get it on with a journalist, which is um, named Kate. Rapley, Kate. That's the joke. Haha. <laughs> played by Ali Landry, and ends up cloning her by mistake. And then, after that happens, with his best friend, they try to make the clone into the perfect woman, which means they teach her to like football and fight. You're underselling how weird the premise of this is, because... I said this is brain-damaged multiplicity. Multiplicity starts with the clones are a fragment of his personality. So the first one is a workaholic. And it's like, oh yeah, he can take on the job. That's perfect. This The third one is his effeminate side. The fourth one is just like a copy of a copy of a copy. It doesn't work. In this film, they explicitly say... Rather than being the multiplicity style where he has all of your memories, but he's a copy of you, so he's not perfect. Replicate, they go out of their way to state she's fully adult because she's the same age as Kate, despite being a few minutes old. But she has no knowledge or memories, so they're going to educate her into the perfect woman, which they pitch this as the perfect woman would act like a man. She would drink beer, love sports, and be horny as hell. And that is the premise. For what it is worth, Max is kind of the only decent person in this film because he he basically realizes after being confronted with this creature of pure id that, no, maybe I maybe I want an adult woman who has a life and desires of her own. Maybe I'll go ask Kate's number. Yeah, I, I don't think there are any decent character, mostly because there aren't any character. Most characters, like, change their opinion on things by scene to scene with no input. There's, like, this really fun moment at the beginning where, like, the first scene is uh, Max going, well, I really want a girlfriend, I feel alone, and his friend, best friend, um, uh, Henry, played by whatever... Who go, yeah. who's like, no, you shouldn't get a girlfriend. Girls are icky and they stop you from watching football or whatever. They have this conversation. Three minutes later, they have the same conversation reversed. With with the friend telling him that he should get a girlfriend and he telling, no, I, I, I don't want a girlfriend. And he's just like, well, I guess that this is like the first three minutes of the movie. So he's just like, well, I guess this is what we're in for. For what it's worth, uh, Ali Landry does deserve a little bit of credit just for playing the two women so distinctively. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, she's good. James Rohde has, like, natural charisma that he puts to work here. Uh, I don't think... I actually don't think any of the performances are the problem. I think everyone, like, is fine. It's just like... No, the script is garbage. The script is garbage. The, the editing is garbage. The direction is like, you know, whatever. It's a comedy, but... Never being kissed, as the problems of never being kissed are interesting. This is just like a movie that's just like not, it's not, like it's not interesting, it's not good. It's just like, I, when I say I regret shooting this for this episode, like I actually mean it. This is the reason why we, we are watching this is because there is a cameo by Lit in the film. And I find really fitting for the state of Lit that there is a really minor character in this film that is a rock star 
there are like two scenes. He's not a major character. Anyone could have played him. He has like three lines. And Lit is not cameoing as him. They're just cameoing as random bar goers. And I feel that's very funny. Because not even in a not even in a film they can be rock stars. They are just some dudes at a bar who would really want a blowjob. Yeah. When when we talk about this movie being disappointing and hard to describe, we gave you the pitch of it's a clone-based, horned-up sex comedy. You can imagine pretty much every scene in this. Down to the ending, since we already told you, Eugene Levy is a credit-stealing dick of a boss. There is a funny scene where where they clone Eugene Levy and he just says penis. I think that was yes. that was the height of the movie. He he becomes the president and his speech is just saying penis 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 over and over like a Mission Hill gag. That one also feels very different in 2020 for sadder reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's that's this film. You know, we told you why we picked it. It's very possible because if we ever find ourselves out of host, we might need bonuses here and there that we might do more of these as we discover easily accessible films. I'm trying to see about sourcing some of the weird MTV direct-to-video ones that they add that we've hmm. mentioned in passing. I, I, am not are... watch, I am not watching the one where Phoenix DX is in. Oh, you don't want to watch Jailbait with an exclamation point? Nope. Yeah, I don't think I could get an hour out of that solo, so uh, we'll take that off the list. Because <laughs> I know no one else is coming along on that ride if I find it. Uh, yeah, there's really not much to say about Replicate. <laughs> no, again, it's it's not clever enough to match a film that came out six years prior, which was still a flop, but had a lot more work put into it. I legitimately didn't know this was a thing other than seeing it on a blockbuster video shelf. I didn't even know Eugene Levy was in this until we began watching it, which says something because I very much enjoy Eugene Levy. He... He kind of became the weird, slumming-it dude for National Lampoon for a while after American Pie. Yeah, that makes sense. He was in that thing, wasn't he? Yep. Huh. He was Jim's dad. Yeah. Yeah, the only reason we watched this is because Lit had a cameo, and the cameo Lit is in is a scene where they're all in a bar, and the horny clone goes, Who wants a blowjob? I need to practice. And Lit raises their hand. The whole band is there. Yeah. All of them participate in this. Also, this was 2002. They weren't relevant anymore. This was like three years after uh, My Own Worst Enemy. So it makes sense they were in this. This movie wasn't relevant. Let me see if I can find anything on a filming date. This screams it was on a shelf for a while. Mm. I find it interesting that no lit song is in the in the film, despite them being in it. Literally, the only trivia I find for this is two of these people went to work together on the USA Network show Psych. They did. I I, I love. I, what's the name of the the other actor? I love this character in Psych. Uh the second fella is Kurt Fuller, who plays a city coroner. Yeah, he's great. He's just like the creepy coroner that always says inappropriate things. Really funny character. Okay. Okay, hold on. This is officially the stupidest thing we are going to find about this movie, so I am going to go with it. My goal was to look up, hey, was this produced at a certain time and just sat on a shelf because nobody wanted it? Instead, I discover, of course, this movie references One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. You know that, right? Does it? Yes. Eugene Levy references an all-hamster cast of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest when a hamster is smacking itself against the bars of its cage. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and Henry quotes the old knight to the max in the beginning when he says, You have chosen wisely, my son. <laughs> yes, that's what that means. 
Thank you, IMDb. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. That's the most highbrow thing to ever be connected to replicate in any format. Oh, you don't consider lit highbrow? Art rock? I mean, this film also has someone watching Mortal Kombat Annihilation and The Wedding Singer in it, so we could go lower. Right, there's a scene where apparently they, their character really loves The Wedding Singer. The Wedding Singer is the best, I quote. <sighs> yeah. Even in 2002, we were already realizing that, damn it, Adam Sandler, why aren't you trying anymore? <laughs> Uh, do you have anything else about this film? I don't. Me neither. This was this episode. It wasn't much of an episode. We'll be coming back next week with a real episode. Speaking of Boston Bossa, we'll come back with Bossa Bostones. Yeah. We're good with that. Look, I tried. <laughs> Unlike Replicate, I tried. You tried so hard and came so far. And in the end, it doesn't even matter. You know, it's probably a good thing that we will not be doing Lincoln Park on this show. But we I would love be, it. We will be doing the second uh, SR-71 record, which is basically Lincoln Park. But SR-71 never got really good remix albums. Remember Reanimated? Yeah, no, I, know. I think the back are fine. I'm just gonna say that SR-71 never got really good anything. No. No, they did not. They're they're child safe, I guess. They're non toxic. <laughs> oh, that was worth it just for the slow, delayed <laughs> realization. Oh. Have you played some of the the Tony Hawk game? I think you got I it. I have messed about with it, and it is definitely a thing in our household as a result. Okay. Okay. Enjoy, excellent. Enjoyed it? Yes. 100%. Give me a quick review so we can, like, fill this episode with unrelated things. Seriously, um, I cannot stress enough how good this Tony Hawk port is. It's... A, it's weirdly meta in that... Everyone from the original game has been aged up. And B, uh, it takes place in modern day for some reason. Okay. Is there a story? Not that I can tell, but like the recurring levels, like the school is empty because of course it is. There's a pandemic on and the mall is now a dead mall with like garbage <laughs> and things falling down and closed stores. And this is real. This is actual decisions they made in updating this game. It I mean, takes the, place in 2020. Uh, I, I, I'm afraid to say that I've been playing a bit of the original and the school is empty also in the original, but I, I guess that takes a new whole meaning in 2020. Yeah, there's actual signs up about it on a little LED thing. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's kind of wild, because, yeah, that's not a thing you would have expected, but... They did it. Hmm. Also, do you know how surreal it was that somebody pointed out to me earlier today? There are skaters in that game who are younger than the original Tony Hawk's pro skater. That one made me feel old. To be honest, what doesn't make you feel old? You're, you're old, so it's normal to feel old. Prog rock doesn't make me feel old. Because that's old music. I know. Prog rock is the ultimate old people music that doesn't have to be, like, weird about it. This is weird, because I was really into prog rock when I was, like, a teen. And then, like, nowadays I'm sort of like, ah, this is, like, seven minutes long. That's already enough. Oh, see, as, as a prog goth, I cannot fault seven-minute songs. 
Now, there are genres you shouldn't do seven-minute songs in. A seven-minute pop song would be hell, and as we've talked about, it kills punk tracks like nobody's business. Yeah. But I definitely think there are genres that deserve it. No, no, I, I mean, it's less about deserving it and more about, like, my current attention span. Like, I remember God. being a kid and being like, yes, come on, 15-minute suit of, like, 40 different parts. Nowadays, I'm just like, just give me, like, a three-minute pop song. Just, I just want the catchy chorus. I just think back on the time when I could sit in a dark room with The Cure's Disintegration playing with on a turntable, and I could lay down on the floor and enjoy it, sulking aggressively, and not have my back lock up. <laughs> yeah. Getting old sucks. <laughs> There's one record that's really long that I still listen to, which is uh, Eve by Joanna Newsom. That's more like mm. folky harp music. It's good. It's good. No shame in that. If you, you you have to get through the very Kate Bushy voice she has, but then like you have like a really good like fifteen minute song to open the record about like meteorites. Hmm. It's good shit. Also, I guess since we've been talking about how we want to recommend some good music on the albums we don't like. You want to recommend a better movie in place of Replicate? Oh. Haven't been watching movies regularly in a while. I'm going to just go on my movie and see what is the last good movie that I've seen. Okay. You know what I'm going to say everybody should see instead of Replicate? What? You should see a movie that has the same energy, but it was pointed out to me at one point, and this has stuck with me ever since, that most romantic comedies, if you flip the genders of the protagonists, are horror films. Hmm. Yeah. And so I want to go with one of the ultimate examples of that, which is Replicate's inverse mirror is Mandy. Watch Mandy. Hmm. Okay, apparently the last film that I liked that I watched was in 2018. Apparently. Oh, what was it? Uh, Hotel Artemis. I think that was a direly underrated film. Uh, it's a very Carpenter-y, just like thriller about a weird universe where criminals go to a hotel to, like, stay. Yeah, that's the that's the numbers filed off John Wick clone, isn't it? No, not really. It's like more of an ensemble movie. Uh, it's not, I, 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 like, it's, it feels like it's in the John Wick universe, but it doesn't feel like a John Wick film. I just remember there was a lot of scuttlebutt at the time about how that was... They announced after John Wick 2, we're going to do a lot of spinoffs and a TV show, and we're going to give the Continental a TV series. And then all of that came to nothing, and then Hotel Artemis came out, and there was there was some rumor going around that's like one of those scripts just got repurposed. Yeah, no, it it does feel it, um, the setting does feel like the Continental in John Wick, but the the film is really good. It's just like it's a really good thriller. Again, it feels very Carpentery. Um, Dave Bautista is in it, and just these people with like a medical like suitcase. It's really funny. Good. I am at the point where Dave Batista will get me into very many movies. He's a very he's a surprisingly charismatic actor for someone who wasn't a fan favorite when he was a wrestler in his first run. Actually came into like a I I, I would say that Bat Batista will get me into more movie than The Rock would. Yes. Oh yes, The Rock's films are um kind of garbage and then you look at Batista's track record and I think he actually has the best scene in the new Blade Runner. I still have to watch Spectre, but, yeah. You don't. I don't? I was not a fan. You're talking about the Bond film, right? Yeah. I was not a fan. Okay. I like the director. That's a, you know, that's a good reason. If you have more reasons than just it's Bond, go into it. I, I like the director and uh, the new Q that appeared in Skyfall for the first time is cute, so... Mm. Yeah, Skyfall 
Skyfall upset me because I think the ending ruined a lot of goodwill I had towards the film and kind of killed my love of where those movies were going. That's fair. I don't remember the ending. I remember enjoying Skyfall. It was very, like, somber. I think thematically the better way to do it is M shoots the guy through herself. Hmm. Because they off her, but I feel like she would have done it by her own bloody hand. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyhow, that's it. Anyhow, shall we shall we close this episode somehow? I just... uh, we are going to turn the video on ourselves and commit seppuku with the shredded replicate DVD we split across the Atlantic. I've got the pointy bit in my stomach. Just tell me when to pull. Don't, don't, please don't. We we need we have ska records to review. Next next week we have an actual ska record with horns in it. <laughs> Goodbye. I'm not even gonna do an ending bit. Goodbye, everyone. We'll, we'll come See back ya. next week with a real episode. <laughs> We're breaking format. Have fun. Tell us if you liked this. We had fun doing it. I think. Yeah. Talking about it was fun. I would rather not watch Replicate ever again. Yes, watching it sucked. Talking about it was fun. I watched Never Been Kissed two times because I wanted to search for the song. You didn't have to do that. I told you I was going to. <laughs> I know, but uh, I am I am obsessive. Okay. Next time we'll bring that obsession to bear on the horn genre. Bye. Bye. Not like I've got the time to stick around. I'll catch my flight like a pop pumpkin. Get out of this town. What's on your mind? There's no point left to keep your image down. Let's terrify.